Hey leaders, before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about a free event that I'm hosting, your personal leadership audit live workshop. I've put the workshop together because if you want to stand out as an exceptional leader, you have to know yourself inside and out. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses is critical. And for that, you need a high degree of self-awareness and a commitment to self-reflection. Now, if you're committed to unlocking your leadership potential, then working through a self-assessment like this is going to help you to quickly identify a path to higher impact. I'll be leading you through a deep dive into the seven imperatives of my No Bullshit Leadership Framework, so that by the end of the session, you'll know exactly what areas you need to develop if you really want to stand out from the crowd. We're only opening up 150 spots, so register now at yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. That's yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 245 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Drive for Performance or Bullying? Sometimes it's a fine line. For some of you, this may be the very first time you're hearing me speak, so it may take you a little while to get used to my style, but the title of the podcast should give you a few clues as to where I'm coming from. For those of you who know me a little better, you'll know me as a vocal advocate of strong leadership, the need to stretch people to achieve extraordinary performance with a single-minded focus on value creation. 
bearing in mind, of course, that value comes in many different forms. It's not just financial results. So I find it intensely interesting that once again, we're seeing some high-profile cases where bullying tactics are allegedly being used under the guise of driving improved performance. Two recent cases from opposite sides of the world, but from very similar cultures, have been reported in the media. And once again, for those of you who don't know me, I only pay attention to the credible, non-hysterical print media. The Economist, The Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, the Australian Financial Review, publications like those. The first case is Dominic Raab, the UK's Deputy PM, who was forced to resign after allegations of bullying were raised by some of his public sector departmental staff. And the second is an unfair dismissal lawsuit brought by a former employee against Maya, Australia's largest department store chain. Each of these relies on interpretation of the events on which the allegations are founded. And even though it can often be a case of he said, she said, in both these instances, there's no shortage of witnesses. But did these cases genuinely involve bullying? Or were they simply examples of strong leaders managing people who weren't doing their jobs to the required standard? We'll never know the answer to this question for sure, regardless of the outcomes of the litigation. But a close look at the dynamics of those situations will be incredibly valuable for anyone in a leadership role. Today, I want to broaden your perspective on how to tread that fine line between demonstrating strong, results-driven leadership and remaining respectful and empathetic towards the individuals in your care. I'll begin today's episode with a little revision on what strong leadership is and what it isn't. I'm then going to go on to explore the case of Dominic Raab, the man who was, until recently, the UK's Deputy Prime Minister. And I finish by having a look at the dynamics of the Maya litigation and what might be lurking just below the surface. So, let's get into it. We released a really important episode early last year. It was episode 182, What is Strong Leadership? And the subtitle was, Taking People Where They Ought to Be. Now, this was in reference to one of my favourite quotes from former First Lady of the US, Rosalind Carter, who said, A leader takes people where they want to go. A great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but where they ought to be. I love this quote. It's really easy to take people where they'd go anyway if you left them to their own devices. But how do you get your people to visualise the alignment between what's best for the organisation and what's best for their individual self-interest because they rarely align in the first instance? That's a real challenge for even the best leader's skills. Anyhow, I'm going to leave a link to this episode in the show notes because I think it's so foundational to improving your leadership performance that it merits the investment of 20 minutes of your time. But just to summarise the high points and get you all on the same page, let me go through the key concepts of this episode. There's been such a seismic shift over the last few years to talking only about virtuous leadership attributes that you might believe that leadership is only about one thing, supporting every individual's journey to becoming the best version of themselves. Well, look, that's all well and good, but it's not what you're paid to do. As a leader, your job is to deliver value for your organisation. And as I said, it's not just financial value. Creating a safer environment for employees creates value. Building market intelligence that allows you to better understand your customers or competitors, well, that creates value. Um, Investing profits back into the communities in which you operate creates value. Your job as a leader is to work out what value means in your context and then pursue that with a single-minded focus. 
But because we've been caught in this tsunami of sentiment on noble leadership attributes, we could be forgiven for thinking that to lead well, we just have to be more humble and fallible and transparent. But that's clearly not working. People are more dissatisfied, unhappy and entitled than they've ever been. No one seems to be really winning this game at the moment. So when I advocate my starting position for this, which is to introduce a brand of strong leadership, focused on results, and lifting people to achieve real performance, impact, and self-esteem, I would really hate that to be confused with the dark side behaviours that poor leaders and bullies exhibit. Poor leaders often dress up their ineptitude and callousness as strong leadership. But in reality, they're nothing more than standover tactics using outdated command and control techniques. So in my world, strong leadership isn't about improving financial results regardless of the human and social cost required to do so. It isn't aggressive older white males dominating their weaker team members. It isn't the command and control style leadership, do what I say and don't question me. It isn't the inappropriate use of positional power. It isn't confrontational posturing. It isn't making decisions unilaterally without heed to the experts who might help you make a better decision. It isn't demanding unquestioned loyalty, regardless of the situation. It isn't showing frequent displays of displeasure and anger. And it certainly isn't a lack of caring, understanding or empathy for others. This is just bad leadership by any measure. But the leaders who use these approaches often don't even know they're doing it. I'm just a strong leader, you'll hear. I have high standards for performance and I make no apologies for that. Don't be fooled by this. Shit leadership is shit leadership in any context. So let me just cover the things that I believe truly define strong leadership. Remember, strength doesn't come from aggression. It comes from calmness and balance. Just ask anyone who practices martial arts at a high level. Being strong is very different to being tough and overbearing. Strong leaders balance compassion with an unyielding commitment to results, standards and performance, both at the individual and the team level. Strong leaders control the huddle. Now forgive my departure into American football, I just can't help myself. The NFL draft starts today, which signals the ramp up to the pre-season. But the point I'm making is that leaders know what to say to their teams at any given point in order to refocus them and get them back on track to winning performance. Strong leaders remain closely connected to their people. Unless you know each of your people individually, it's impossible to help them to bring out their best performance. Strong leaders have boundless empathy. Now here's an interesting paradox. It takes enormous strength to have boundless empathy. And of course, to do so without letting it degenerate into sympathy. To sit with someone and genuinely connect with them in a meaningful way. To feel their fears, anxieties, pain and confusion. Only the strongest leaders can resist succumbing to the temptation of dismissing people's feelings as unimportant, or even worse, ignoring them altogether. It's just so much easier to tell people what to do, isn't it? In almost every case, Strong leaders take accountability. When things go wrong or when seemingly insurmountable challenges face the organisation, strong leaders stand up, they face into it and they say, I've got this. 
They don't blame others for problems or failures. They step into the vacuum that weak leaders leave and they fill it with purpose, courage and a steely resolve. Strong leaders demonstrate courage when dealing with those above. They don't just nod and smile and agree with whatever the boss says. They fight vigorously and selflessly for the best outcome and for the principles and values that the organisation has said it wants to uphold. Strong leaders stand up when it costs them the most. When crises occur, when things go wrong, when mistakes are made, when the chips are down, when the personal risk of an adverse outcome is at its highest, that's when the great leader is at their strongest. They have an incredible level of resilience, that grace under pressure that we all should aspire to. And of course, strong leaders take people where they ought to be. Let's talk about Dominic Raab. According to The Economist's Bartleby column, which is one of my favourite weekly reads, an independent investigation into allegations of workplace bullying found that Raab had crossed a line. A line that Raab himself says sets an inappropriately low bar for what constitutes bullying. The independent barrister who ran the investigation found that Raab displayed unreasonably and persistently aggressive conduct, and he was sometimes intimidating and insulting. Now, this is demonstrably awful leadership in any person's language. But does it really constitute bullying? Well, the barrister was, of course, obliged to form his conclusions with reference to the British government's definition of bullying. And here's where the problem begins. Apparently, bullying is defined as behaviour that makes people feel intimidated or offended. Wow. That is incredibly subjective, and it's almost impossible to be completely certain that you would be avoiding it. Without losing sight of the fact that it absolutely will capture any cases of genuine bullying and intimidation, which of course is excellent, it also opens the door for anyone who is fragile, entitled and coddled to blame their own choices on someone else, namely their leader. This could potentially make anyone who's a strong leader, by my definition, the target of bullying accusations, which I don't think would be right. Let's face it, I could easily be accused of offending someone for my rant this morning about the Boston Bruins losing last night's playoff game to the Florida Panthers. Some people would no doubt find my views on the Panthers' win to be offensive. But would those comments have constituted bullying? There has to be some sort of objective test of reasonableness. But who gets to decide? Who is the arbiter? I can't even begin to tell you how many times I saw lazy, entitled employees gaslighting their managers for nothing more than expecting that they do the job that they were being paid to do. They would say, my manager is bullying me. No, your manager is just asking you to do your job. The fact that your last five managers didn't have the backbone to do the same doesn't make your current manager a bully. The key point here is that these perceptions are largely informed by culture and context. Politicians are just as prone as business leaders to bullying. During my corporate career, I got to rub shoulders with a few politicians, and I had the misfortune of witnessing some diabolical behaviour from some of those who use their elected power to rein abuse on their public sector leaders. These were just awful humans to have to deal with. In Raab's case, the article suggests that he was hardworking, direct, and driven to improve performance. He didn't swear, he didn't shout, 
and he did make threatening gestures. But he would interrupt people when not getting a straight answer. If he was presented with substandard work, he would clearly say so in no uncertain terms. Did he lack empathy and compassion? Clearly. Was his leadership stylistically questionable? Definitely. Was he disrespectful and boorish? Probably. But I'm still struggling to see bullying and intimidation based on the stated facts. Now, importantly, this wasn't a one-off complaint from a timid newbie who felt threatened. There were many civil servants who testified as to Raab's completely unacceptable leadership behaviour. And as Bartleby very eloquently points out, bullying can be a one-off, but more often, it's incremental. Stresses accumulate, anxiety builds, and atmospheres form. And yes, if enough people don't want to work for you, the problem comes out in different ways. A culture of fear, where the messenger is routinely shot. A lack of trust and respect. A focus on trying to please the boss, rather than trying to produce results. A feeling of not being appreciated or valued. In short, it turns it into a terrible place to work, which makes it difficult to attract and retain talent, such as it is. So if the goal of that leader was to drive performance and results, well, it's absolutely counterproductive behaviour to what they're trying to achieve. What's the message for all of us as leaders? Well, for a start, you've got to read the play. It's critical to understand the context you're operating in. Most importantly, never belittle anyone, particularly in a public forum. If there's a performance issue, deal with it directly in a one-on-one setting. Don't just spray people with abuse. Setting high standards and demanding results requires leadership strength. But that should never cross the line into disrespect or abusiveness. And to be sure, this line is becoming thinner and it's getting a lot harder to see. The alleged bullying and unfair dismissal litigation in the Meyer case is a little more loaded than the British Deputy PM's resignation. It's a legal case brought by an employee whose role was made redundant, seeking damages for being unfairly dismissed. And whenever a complainant is seeking monetary damages, the alignment of incentives can skew perceptions on both sides of the coin. Now bear in mind that we'll never really know the truth here, as with any situation. Only the people involved know the extent of what happened. But the publicly available information prompts an interesting discussion. One of the incidents cited in the legal submissions allegedly occurred in a large meeting with about 30 people, where the complainant claims to have suffered offence and distress. According to the documents, and I quote, During the meeting, the leader in question used belittling and offensive language interrupted and cut people off before they'd said what they wanted to say and was generally intimidating towards other attendees at the meeting. Well, okay, it sounds like the boss may have thrown the toys out of the cot when she didn't get the answer she wanted. But this wouldn't be particularly unusual in many workplaces today. Shit leadership for sure, if indeed this allegation is true. There was clearly a breakdown in the relationship between the leader and the employee in question. But does this constitute bullying? And does it merit damages of over $700,000 as the complainant is seeking? Well, here's where it gets super interesting. Maya made the plaintiff's job redundant shortly after the complaint was lodged. Now, that sounds sort of dumb to me, regardless of the circumstances. 
Restructuring redundancy may seem like an expedient way to remove someone that you no longer want working for you, but it smells awfully fishy, particularly when the person in question has recently raised complaints of bullying internally. It looks like retribution, even if it wasn't. Based on that alone, it seems that the situation was poorly handled. Now, I suspect the case is going to be settled out of court when Meyer agrees to pay an undisclosed sum, which will be substantially less than the $700,000 being claimed, with the appropriate non-disclosure deed. What can we learn from this case? Once again, the key message is that you need to understand the context you're operating in, and you need to read the play. Also be aware of the power differential that your position carries. Some people will be intimidated simply because of that alone. Always be respectful, calm and polite. Never embarrass or criticise or denigrate an individual in a public forum, even if it might feel as though it's warranted. Instead, save your performance conversations for one-on-ones. And if you have a performance problem, performance management is the only way to deal with it. Don't take the easy way out by fabricating a restructuring redundancy. This just exposes you and your company to unnecessary risk. It's an entirely inadequate way to solve this problem. But this is quite often the option used when either a weak leader hasn't challenged, coached and confronted their people diligently, or the culture of the company is just to try and smooth things over by sweeping them under the rug. Look, it's pretty obvious that our perception of what constitutes bullying intimidation and harassment is clearly shifting to meet evolving societal standards. And for the most part, this is a move in the right direction that we should welcome and embrace. But make no mistake, there will be an increasing number of cases where a decent, strong leader is accused of crossing that line. I'm not convinced that in either of the cases we looked at today, we're dealing with strong leaders who are unfairly targeted. What is clear, though, is that as leaders, we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard. Like many things that poor leaders used to get away with, bullying is just one more area where the limits of tolerance are closing in. It's more important than ever to build your capability as a strong leader who gets results while still stretching your people to reach a higher standard. Give them the gift of playing on a winning team. And if you have the empathy and compassion that strong leadership truly requires, no reasonable person will mistake that for bullying. And that just leaves you with the unreasonable ones, which has always been the case. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 245. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please make sure you share this episode with the leaders in your network. I'm really looking forward to next week's episode, The Curse of Short-Term Focus. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. 